Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, there's a new Elixir case study on the Elixir Lang website, and this one covers community.com. Community is a platform that enables instant and direct communication with mainly like big influencers might want to reach and interact with, and it lets them use the simplicity of text messaging. And it's being used by big names like Paul McCartney, Metallica, and Barack Obama. And what's cool, though, is that it's actually using some Erlang power with Elixir and RabbitMQ playing central roles. So you can take a look at that and read about that on the Elixir Lang website. Here's a good quote taken out of it is the, is the team is, is glad to report that the Metallica announcement, which was a huge thing for them, was a success with no hiccups on their end. They were then just five backend engineers who tackled everything from architectural design and development to setting up and operating the whole infrastructure. So this has been a theme in several case studies of like how a small team is able to have a big impact. And I think honestly, that is like a main takeaway point for me is just seeing consistently how small teams can do really powerful things when they're using Elixir. And things that like normally you'd say, that's a, that's a 20, 30 person crew of engineers just to make this happen. So it's always impressive for me. In other news, we noticed that there was a update into OTP Master, which will be helping to compile Phoenix templates up to five times faster, depending on your situation. So we'll keep an eye on this and see you know, what it means for our tests and what it means for our development as it comes into Elixir. Cool. Another library got a big update today, um, and that library is Bamboo. You may have used Bamboo to help uh, orchestrate mail uh, emails from your application. And it was probably likely that if you were using Bamboo, you were probably already using Phoenix. But in case you are wanting to just send mail from like a, a back application, not the web-facing application, you know, now here's the update. Bamboo is decoupled from Phoenix. Bamboo used to use Phoenix to help uh, render the templates that would be sent in the email. But now they've uh, essentially copied some of the, the code out of Phoenix, um, all the template rendering stuff, the, the Phoenix view stuff. They copy that stuff into Bamboo. Now you don't have to have the actual dependency of Phoenix when you're using Bamboo. So that's a, that's a big deal. I think that's, uh, that's pretty cool. I know that was always a little bit of a thorn in the side. Along with the update, there's also better support for Mailgun. Great update, and congrats to uh, the team that's uh, managing that. And there's a new book out uh, by Prague Prague called Concurrent Data Processing in Elixir. And I thought it was cool because Jose gave his endorsement for the book, saying it closes a gap we had in the community and delivers on the topic. Also adding that it's a great and practical example of a non-trivial supervision tree. So if you're interested in digging deeper into concurrent data processing in Elixir, where it covers things like GenStage and Broadway, then it might be a book that you're interested in looking at. We noticed a new proof of concept out there by Wojtek Mach. If you've ever had to go navigate to some Erlang documentation, you've noticed that the templates look different, um, sidebar is different, right? Every, everything's different. It's a completely different uh, HTML generation bit for Erlang documentation. Well, that may not be true for much longer. There's a proof of concept out there uh, that Wojtek Mach has um, just demonstrating hex core, which is an Erlang written library but shown in xdocs. So it looks just like what you would expect it to do, uh, expect, expect it to look like, but the theming is a little bit different. So pretty cool. Uh, we'll see how that, uh, how that evolves. I'm really excited about it to get to a unified experience of both Erlang and Elixir documentation. And I wonder how, how far we'll take that too. I, I wonder if that will extend even into OTP. Yeah, interesting stuff. 
yeah, it'll be interesting to see if the Erlang community itself picks up on this and embraces it or not. And otherwise, it's, it's still a good quality of life improvement for those of us who are in the Elixir side and occasionally digging into Erlang things. Yeah. And that's it for the news. Today, I'm excited to have our special guest, Tyler Young. So Tyler, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. I'm excited to be here. Now, Tyler, you uh, recently announced on Twitter that you're with the X-Plane company and you just announced this MMO feature where like it's massive multiplayer online thing with synchronizing all these simulated pilots flying around and you're doing that with Elixir. That is super cool. I'm really excited to talk about that. But before we get into all that, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Like where do you live and what kind of work you're doing? Yeah. So I live in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, the middle of the US uh, for people who aren't familiar. Um, <laughs> small town, uh, but all my family's here. And uh, so we're, we're happy with it. I work on the X-Plane Flight Simulator. You can take your joystick and you can plug it into your computer and, and fly a little virtual airplane. We sell basically the, the same product to consumers at like 60 bucks that we sell to professional users. Companies like NASA and Boeing and Cessna, they all use X-Plane to kind of test out their designs before they build a wind tunnel model or, or that sort of thing. It's engineering grade physics is, is the big selling point. That is so cool. So I got to say, like when I first learned about X-Plane, like 10, 15 years ago, I was really interested in maybe getting a pilot's license. And I had a friend who told me about X-Plane. And so I started looking at it and playing with it. And I didn't, hadn't gone so far to invest in like the yoke and the pedals and everything. But that was my first exposure to it. And just like, you know, it is like this super professional grade thing. And I love that you guys make it affordable for like the hobbyist too. It's really cool. Yeah, we have, there are people who are building like home cockpits. So we've got people that buy like, like a, a dead 747 and they will slice the thing up and bring it into their basement and, and, uh, build out all the controls and all the, the panels and stuff. And it all hooks together with X-Plane. And it's, it's amazing how far people go, uh, even in their homes. Oh, that is so cool. Let's jump into this now, because one of the things I want to first understand is, you know, how did Elixir get in with this? Like, did you already have Elixir experience previous to this? Or, you know, what is your experience with Elixir? <laughs> so uh, I actually, I was looking at the timeline of this. And in December of 2019, we knew that we wanted to do uh, a massive multiplayer server. And I was kind of evaluating a few different technologies, uh, you know, Rust and Go and and uh, that sort of thing. And Elixir stood out to me. I, I watched Sasha Yurik's uh, video, uh, The Soul of Erlang and Elixir. And mm -hmm. it, that, there's that one slide where he's like, this is what we did before. And it's like Node.js and Redis and, uh, you know, all, all these these technologies. And like, you have to be like an expert in all of those things to really ship production software. And then he's like, and then we just did Erlang. And it was Erlang for this and Erlang for that. And, and I was like, oh, my God, like, this is amazing. That was what kind of set me on the... Uh, on the path to doing this. I had never worked in a, a fully like functional language. I'd, I'd been kind of interested in functional programming and, and had tried Haskell and got turned off of it really quickly. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, I'd been, I'd been trying to write my C++ more functional and, and that sort of thing, uh, which, you know, you can, you can go a long way with, but, but at the end of the day, like getting into Elixir was just, it was like an awakening for me. That's awesome. So were you the person then who decided we should investigate Elixir as the implementation of how we might approach this and let's do some tests and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I was. I knew that I wanted to try out Elixir. And so I went through the uh, the official tutorial, kind of just opening an IX shell and just hacking along with it. I was really impressed. Like that is the best tutorial I've ever seen 
in official docs. It it was amazing. And so I got to the end of it and I was like, eh, you know, like I could probably write some production code. And so I, I kind of picked off a small project. We had a small little, it's just an HTTP proxy, basically a caching proxy that we were using. And I was like, I could probably rewrite this in Elixir. And in like, I think it was like three days, like I had it done and I, I was using gen servers and I was like kind of understanding like the processes and stuff. And I was like, you know, we can probably just dive into to doing this MMO server. Like, let's let's get going. Like, I had an idea uh, based on having read a little bit about OTP and kind of understanding a little bit of like, okay, we're going to have like all these clients are going to be their own processes and they're not going to crash each other and, and that sort of thing. So I, I dove in and like within a week, I was like, yeah, this is going to work and this is going to be great. I assume you're not the only person who's working on this. It's like there's a team. So I am curious about how you introduced Elixir to these other people how did you go about teaching them or helping them learn? So we have we have another person on the team. He comes from the the web world, and so he's done quite a bit of Go and and Node.js and that sort of thing. And and uh, he was certainly open to it. The rest of the team, uh, my my project manager for for the mobile app, he was kind enough to give me enough rope to hang myself, so to speak. And and he was like, you know, this seems like some some uh some hipster uh you know gold plated MacBook uh uh you know silliness. But uh but I'm gonna I'm gonna let it go. You know, well you can try it and and if it doesn't work out we'll write a, a C server and and it'll oh, oh it would have been so bad. I've I've written enough C to know that, that, that would have been a a terrible experience. Um but uh yeah, so so you know, he kind of let it go and and let me try it and it was so productive. I I got so much done. Looking at the timeline, March 1st I had like kind of a pre-alpha. It was terrible and jittery, but it was doing the the state sync across the wire. 3 months was like a crazy timeline for for compared to what we were expecting. Wow. That's really cool. I wouldn't say I have fully persuaded everybody to go learn Elixir in the company, but uh, certainly there's there's some appreciation of like how fast you can get stuff done. So we've talked and kind of introduced what X-Plane is. And so there's this other term that you're using in this uh, blog post where you announced this, where it's called RackNet. Maybe you can kind of introduce us to what RackNet is. Yeah. So if you're doing games networking, the like accepted wisdom is that you should be using UDP. UDP as a a data transport has a lot of features that make it more desirable than TCP because uh, if you drop packets with TCP, you have, you know, extra latency trying to sync back up and you can get big stutters in games, basically. Uh, So UDP is basically just blasting data down the pipe and hopefully the other side gets it. And if they don't, they'll get the next update, you know. But UDP also is missing a bunch of stuff that you would want for, you know, for a production application. So RackNet is kind of the layer on top of UDP that gives you things like uh, like stateful connections. So there's this big handshake process between a client and a server to say, you know, I'm a client and I would like to uh, talk to you and, and you know, back and forth to to figure out how we're going to do that. Uh, so it handles that for you. It also provides stuff like uh, like reliability. So you say, I need this packet to be delivered. I don't care if there's added latency, you know, make sure I get a confirmation before we, we move on uh, for just this packet type. You don't have to do that for everything. You mentioned Xplane and you mentioned C++. Is Xplane written in C++ then? Yeah, most of Xplane is in C++. We share most of the same code base between um, all five platforms. We're on Mac, Windows, Linux, Android, and iOS. Yeah, so C++ lets us do that. <laughs> I was going to speculate a little bit. It's not necessarily about Xplane, but I just find it interesting that like, we know that Square Enix is using Elixir to some fashion. I don't, I don't know how. 
but it'd be fun to think that it's also for some multiplayer aspect there because we know that Elixir is pretty good at that. And my uncle at Nintendo just told me that they're rewriting their multiplayer servers at Nintendo. No idea what they're writing in, but <laughs> I find it pretty amazing that like it's it, these sectors of, of industries are picking up on things like Elixir where I wouldn't have uh, anticipated them to do that. So, you know, X-Plane now with the MMO aspect. So based, you know, it intersects with gaming, mm-hmm. uh, whatever Square Enix is doing. And I hope that Nintendo is, is going to, you know, somebody over there might know about Elixir. No idea what they're really doing. But that's just <laughs> purely speculating. I just find that pretty, uh, pretty interesting that gaming might be uh, uh, an interested party in Elixir. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I I couldn't go back. Like if you if you told me like <laughs> you have to go rewrite this thing in PHP, I'd be like. Oh no. Mm, yeah. I think I'll retire. <laughs> I'd love to jump in and kind of talk about your blog post that came out and kind of sharing that you're doing this. And one of the questions I always kind of think about when a company kind of steps forward and says, this is the technology we chose and you're promoting it. You know, that's kind of like this going public moment where some organizations might consider like that part of their secret sauce. And oh, we don't want our competitors or anyone else to know that we're doing this because we're getting such benefits from it. So I'd be curious to just kind of hear what that was like, that conversation. Did you have to get like permission? Yeah. So um, I did. I did get permission. Uh, <laughs> I, I talked <laughs> to the product managers and, you know, we kind of agreed that it was something that's worth talking about. So the RackNet protocol that uh, that we built on top of, it's open source. In building this stuff, I was I was consulting with a lot of other open source uh, implementations of the protocol in JavaScript and, and PHP and that sort of thing. And so it felt like the right thing to do to to open source our uh, protocol version that we that we wrote in Elixir. And from there, it was just like, you know, let's talk about this and, and maybe people will get excited. It's certainly, I think it's worth spreading the word about Elixir. I totally appreciate that for some companies, it's, you know, it's their their secret weapon, right? But, you know, for us, our number one competitor is uh, is Microsoft. And uh, I, I don't foresee Microsoft going and rewriting all of their servers in uh, in Elixir. You know, maybe they will. I guess that'd be a really good thing for Elixir. Uh, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that is funny. Yeah, because so it's the Microsoft. Uh, yeah, Microsoft Flight Simulator. Flight Simulator. Yeah, yeah. When I saw this blog post where you talked about this and kind of, you know, talked about RackNet and this implementation, I kind of thought, I'll bet there's an Elixir case study coming here. Has anyone talked to you about that? Is that something that's in the works? Can we look forward to that? Yeah. Uh, Jose reached out to me and uh, I, I kind of sent him the blog post and he said he was interested. I'm not really sure uh, uh, when that'll be coming, but yeah, we're certainly interested. So maybe we can clarify a little bit about what exactly this project was that you're sharing. So RackNet, it sounds like it's the the gaming protocol that's implemented in Elixir. In your blog post, you kind of detail like, hey, this is not a complete implementation. It's only covering what we need. So if people are interested in looking at this and using this, maybe you can frame it as to what they should expect to find. Yeah. So the the part that we open sourced is just the the protocol. So it doesn't have things like uh, like the business logic that Xplane uses to to send out client updates and stuff. It's just the the messaging protocol. If you were going to use this in your game server, you might find that we did not implement the particular packet types that you that you need. There are various flags that you can uh, give to RackNet and and tell it, you know, I need this to be ordered or I need this to be reliable or or unreliable ordered and that sort of thing. 
So it's it's a partial implementation for all the stuff that we needed. <laughs> but uh, yeah, certainly we're we're interested in in pull requests from people who want to extend it. Um, and certainly it's better than starting from nothing. Now, coming back to this MMO project, in the blog post, you kind of shared some of your overall goals of the project. And I'd love to just kind of touch on a few of them. I thought that was very interesting. Like one being a rock solid server. And you already mentioned this idea of, you know, processes can manage individual connections. So one client going down or having a problem does not ripple and cause other problems. This is in production, right? Can you speak to anything about what it's been like so far? Yeah, so we have, um, I'm using AppSignal for, for monitoring. I really like it. it. was crazy easy to implement. You know, they've reported like a thousand errors or something, you know, mostly from bad data getting sent to the server and that sort of thing. As far as I can tell, every one of those has affected that client, but it's not, you know, brought down the rest of the server. It's not, it's not caused like significant data loss. Uh, the clients kind of seamlessly connect again in the back end and, uh, it just works. Yeah. It's, it's, Amazing. It's, it's when I when I started writing web apps, it was like Node.js and and I quickly discovered uh PM2 so that you can restart your node server when it inevitably <laughs> crashes. Uh and uh you know, that's just like that's how you do it, you know, because cause it's going to crash. It's really amazing to have I don't know, Elixir's background as coming from telephony and that sort of thing. It's amazing how solid it's been. I'm curious. I'm, yeah, I, I came from, I'm, I'm coming from a purely web only like developer position here. So this, so my understanding of like, okay, an MMO, that is one world, right? Uh, or many worlds, but the idea is that there's, there's one world with many participants in it. And so as a web developer, I'm thinking that's a singleton of some sort, right? So I have this single, single state, you know, single thing that, that everything would connect to and probably be a bottleneck of some sort. I'm curious to how, you know, what's the approach that you take to lighten the bottleneck there to keep it, to keep it concurrent without a single process bogging everyone else down? Uh, is there a certain architecture that you guys took? I'm thinking like, <laughs> I'm thinking that the MMO is like a single gen server, but obviously you guys probably didn't do it that way, right? Uh, how did you go about um, keeping that kind of state um, and keeping everything concurrent while maintaining some sort of immutability, you know, on the state? So this is something that I was like really aware of from the start. You're right that there is like a single gen server, which is like the server that is listening on whatever port um, and accepting incoming connections. And and my strategy there has just been to make that do as little as possible and and get everything <laughs> out into into different processes as soon as possible. Um, and so there is the other bit of shared state is like the collection of clients that are in a given area. While there is conceptually like one shared world, uh, we've broken that up into a number of like fragments and uh, we kind of know on the explain client side, you can only ever see, you know, this many miles in any direction. And so we have big buckets that we put clients in. And so when we get an update from a client that goes into the bucket that that person's playing in and then all the buckets that could see that person. And so it's like it's like six mm. buckets per per update. And then that way, you know, when we're doing an update, we don't have to block the whole world while we examine, you know, yeah. who's nearby. <laughs> who do we need to send out? You know, you can just block that bucket. Yeah. Interesting. So another one of your project goals was that you wanted quick iteration times because, you know, you weren't sure how this was going to be really, really be received. You know, maybe it's going to be super... Once you got up to scale, you know, you maybe you'd have problems. You know, maybe people would just complain. I don't know. So how did you feel Elixir was helpful with these quick iteration times? So coming from writing a ton of, of statically typed languages, 
you can spend a whole lot of time like getting your types just right and that sort of thing, doing all this plumbing only to throw it away because you realize like, oh, this was the wrong design from the start. And so for prototyping, Elixir was really valuable. I am a little embarrassed to note that I haven't written type specs for like basically anything. Uh, <laughs> but, but you know, when you're, when you're throwing big chunks of code away and rewriting it, it's nice to be able to do that. And, you know, Elixir provides so much, like providing OTP from the start is just, it's the biggest head start you can ask for. I think about like, there's the joke about, you know, every distributed system is, it implements some small subset, poorly written uh, of, of OTP. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, that's just, it's so true. And I think about trying to have implemented half of that, you know, in Go or, or some other language. And I just, uh, I, I would have never gotten out the door. In your blog post, you also talked about we were considering other languages as, as a possible option. And you'd mentioned like Rust, Go, and Elixir. I see a lot in the DevOps tools. Like Go is like a big thing. Like, you know, I use traffic is a like a load balancing kind of, you know, proxy thing. And, you know, a lot of Kubernetes stuff is in Go. So I'm just curious as to, you know, you, you're looking at some of these other things. How did you evaluate those? And, you know, what were your feelings? The reason that that Go and Rust got called out was specifically for like performance and and concurrency. You know, we wanted to be able to, if we needed to, scale this up to, you know, a hundred and twenty eight core server or something. Uh, if we if we really wanted to run the whole world off of off of one machine, turns out we actually don't need all that computing power. And like right now, we're running on like an eight core machine, and we could do it on four. I just like having the headroom, and it's cheap, right? Um, yeah, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, so so Go has a really strong concurrency story. Rust is maybe a little harder to write, a little, little more time consuming, but but it also uh, memory safety and, and concurrency is, is very strong there, too. So in evaluating them, I was mostly looking at I was, you know, looking through a few books. I was looking through sample implementations of these various distributed servers in, in the same way that uh, there are no books on writing MMO servers specifically. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you can find stuff that is that is similar and related. Um, and I was just kind of looking at them and it just felt like Elixir was going to be the easiest path. And despite having never really written production Ruby or, or anything like that, like the syntax just felt like it made sense. You know, uh, pattern matching on function heads. Oh, my gosh. The, the first time I saw that, I was like, this is really going to clean up my code. That's awesome. I, I think one of my favorite quotes from your blog post was. Elixir had one major thing that neither Rust nor Go could touch. Fault tolerance built in to the very core of the platform. And I just think that is so cool because like, that is one of those things that I also really love and appreciate. And I don't know that people can necessarily appreciate it until you, you realize that languages were created to solve specific problems and different problems of their time. And the problem that Erlang was trying to solve wasn't necessarily concurrency. It was fault tolerance. And that's where everything came from. That's where their OTP patterns came from was fault tolerance. When you kind of appreciate that you have to have that built in from the very beginning to really, really get that. I just love that. And I love that you picked up on that too. So you know, anything you want to add to that? No, I, I agree. That's It's really interesting how much comes from that. And I just think about like, I feel like maybe there's a certain number of like null pointer exceptions you have to have caused in production before you can <laughs> get really, really motivated by that. Like I, I think about like as a younger developer, I, I would have, you know, I, I would have said to myself, I will simply not write uh, code that crashes. Like how hard can that be? You know, and now it's like, I don't know, having having spent a few years um, writing bad code, I, I, I think like 
you know, maybe we should plan for that failure from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I, I was that that junior developer, right? Like I was sure. my very first internship job, you know, the the I was being interviewed and they're saying, Well, how would you go about, you know, debugging a problem? It's like, well, first, you don't write a bug. <laughs> <laughs> I was almost offended that she would imply I would write a bug. I want to pick up on a keyword of that quote is, is it's very core to the platform, the keyword platform. Um, and I think that is that is the major differentiator there. You know, like I when I think about Rust or Go, I, I don't think about platforms. I think about languages. And Erlang would look and feel a whole lot different if it didn't include OTP, right? Like Erlang, I don't really think of it as a language. I think of it as a platform. Sure. Yeah, like OTP, that it makes a huge difference. And I think that's why it's, it's you know, get, getting success um, nowadays, especially with, uh, with Elixir. Because, you know, those tools, uh, that's what developers need. They need that platform. <laughs> they need those things. It's, it's usually never just the language. It's always that extra thing to get to, you know, where you want to go, what you want to build. And OTP, you know, the, the, the fault tolerance bit, it's essentially universal. I can't imagine a lot of, uh, a lot of development not needing that kind of stuff. It would be, it would be the exception where it didn't need that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, even small things like CLI programs, you know? Anyway, so I, I wanted to pick up on that keyword because I think that is, a, that is a good differentiator, you know, on what, um, what makes it stand apart. Yeah. I mean, coming from the C++ world, I'm, I'm used to, uh, you know, you build the platform yourself. Here, here are some, some very low-level tools and you'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really amazing to come into uh, something that is so well thought out and, and so rock solid. So let's turn to talking more about like this uh, running in production. There's just a couple questions I have. Like from your blog post, it sounds like you know you're running on a single EC2 instance, and I have wondered like how are you guys managing deployments? If it's a single server, is it a rolling deploy, a hot code deploy? Like how are you handling that without dropping all the connections? My solution to this, having looked at at hot code reloads and stuff, as cool as it is, you know, we just don't need it, and, and it, we can't justify the the added uh, complexity. So all we do is we do blue green deploys. So we've got two servers. Uh, I spin up the new server on on whichever one is you know whichever one was off, and then we just reroute client connections as they start a new flight. If you want to take a 24-hour flight around the world, uh, you can do that, and you might be the literal last person left on Earth uh, by the time you get done. But then your next flight, you will be uh, you'll be rejoining society. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I love that. <laughs> if you're just having two, I guess, then you know if there was a bug or something like, oh, we need to have another quick deploy. You know, you're kind of limited there. Is that right? That's true. Um, and. I have been a little bit concerned about that. Um, if we needed to, we could always spin up another uh, another machine. You know, we've just got a, a VM image that we could spin up reasonably quickly. But yeah, it's worked so far. <laughs> Famous last words. I guess that's another thing that's worth pointing out is like Elixir really encourages test-driven, if not TDD specifically, you know, it encourages writing really testable code, right? Because everything's functional. And so it's easy to test relatively speaking. And uh, that's been so valuable. Like the nicest thing you can do for a development team is to give them a well-tested code base. You know, I, I don't sweat <laughs> if I if I have to do a deploy at, at 4.55 p.m. on Friday, you know, I, I run the test suite, looks good. It, it's going to be fine, you know, and maybe maybe there's a bug that I didn't catch, but it's not going to bring down the whole server. It's not going to it's not going to, you know, uh, set us on fire. And, and you know, I can go uh, go in Monday morning and, and take a look. <laughs> 
I love that. That's great. So do you have any tips that you could share for someone else out there who's you know, thinking about building a large system with a lot of persistent connections? Maybe they've got an idea for an MMO even. I don't know. But like any tips that you would give or share that they might either consider or be aware of or... I don't know. What would you say? I think I got two things. And one is the the obvious thing that everybody talks about with Elixir, which is just isolate those processes. You know, they're they're so cheap. I have uh, I've, I've done benchmarks on our system. Um, the bottleneck is definitely not the number of processes, you know, so so we have a process per client, we have a process per connection and that sort of thing. And they're cheap. And if they go down, you know, at least you're not bringing down anybody else. So that's the first one. The other thing is like, obviously, shared global state, you, you got to keep it to a minimum. And and shared global state is, of course, the really scary thing, because if that's in its own process and it goes down, you're in real trouble. And so my my strategy has just been to keep the logic in that state to be the absolute minimum, like that gen server should do almost nothing except, you know, accept data and and spit it out and let everybody else take the risk of, you know, doing transformations on it and that sort of thing. That makes me wonder, what kind of a storage strategy do you have for that? I imagine that the state isn't always and only in a, in a gen server. You know, when, do you write that to disk or to a database? Um, you know, it's a series of transforms. How, how do you guys manage that kind of stuff? I imagine it's a lot of data. Most of the state, um, stuff like aircraft positions, that's all the heavyweight stuff, you know, in terms of like the amount of memory it takes up. And of course, even that's only like, you know, a few hundred megabytes. Uh, but we don't bother syncing it to a database because like if the server were to go down and come back up, it would already be out of date, right? Like somebody's already flown on. They're already a mile away or something. So it's all just in memory. And the next time that, you know, a client connects, they'll, they'll give us, um, an updated version if we lost it. God forbid. Yeah. So, so the only stuff that we sync to a database is like, you know, like stats that we would want to track over a long time. Um, and that's very minimal. Gotcha. Kind of the advantage of of doing like a real time, you know, game system is like, I don't know, we're not responsible for for data loss, because we'll get more data later. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things you shared with your blog post, which I appreciate is this idea of some of the lessons learned, like the good, the bad, and I appreciate you know that you're candid and talking about like some of the challenges you had because I think you know we don't want to gloss over everything and just say if you choose Elixir you'll never have another problem right <laughs> so maybe you can kind of share what some of the challenges were because of Elixir or or just these choices I kind of got called out in the blog comments on this uh, because to some degree like these are my misunderstandings you know and you know that's certainly true stuff like multi node support. It's hard to say like the community oversells it. I think some of the resources I was reading oversold it. You know, multi-node is hard no matter, you know, no matter the language, no matter how many amazing utilities you have for it. Um, it's still going to be more complex than just doing a, a single big server. And that's what we ended up doing. We were like, you know, we could have scaled out to multiple machines, but uh, it was just so much simpler to provision one bigger machine and, and uh, call it a day. Same with live code updates. It's amazing that it can happen at all, but uh, uh, it's probably not worth the overhead if you can get away with with just spinning up a different server. And so you'd mentioned as some of the good. Uh, one of the points was developer productivity has never been better. Could you talk about this a little bit? I'd love to hear maybe any of the feedback you'd gotten from other members of the team who kind of were experiencing Elixir as well. You know, I was solely responsible for almost everything on the server, uh, which is like, 
<laughs> my opinion is the only one that has really taken a lot of time. Um, we've got one other guy who who has read a lot of the code, but but hasn't actually modified it that much. So I, I can't really speak to other people. I have to think that coming from, you know, other other web languages, like it'll be not a big deal. What I love about what you just said there is like, I think of what it would take to build an MMO. Now, I've never built a game server or anything like that online. So, you know, I, I'm just, it's kind of what I imagine. But I can't imagine doing that myself for something at this scale that you're talking about. So with that right there, I was like, that's really cool. I was surprised too. Like based on other experience in, in other languages, my, my initial estimate was like, guys, this is going to take a year to get something that is like half working. And, uh, you know, I, I got a couple months in and I was like, you know, I can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel here. Like this is, this is wild. So as you were learning Elixir, you'd mentioned pattern matching being a really cool thing. Were there any other surprising things that you found with Elixir that just kind of, I don't know, tickled your funny bone? You're like, I'm, cause like when I was learning it, you know, I, I'd at times just feel giddy. It's like, this is so cool. I'm having so much fun. Like, what was that for you? Yeah, man, it is amazing to have an all Elixir stack. Like we don't have, we don't have Nginx in front of it. We don't have Redis. We don't have caching layers or, or, you know, we don't have cron jobs. Like everything's in Elixir. It's, it's really amazing in the same way that people get really excited about, like we're writing JavaScript on the back end and the front end. I, I feel like it's that, but for your entire web app stack, like it's hard to overestimate how valuable that is. Um, you know, you get familiar with one set of tools and you can kind of use them everywhere. Um, the other thing that was really pleasantly surprising because like I hadn't researched this in advance and, and <laughs> I realized live, I realized while flying the plane, uh, that, uh, that we needed this was, was interoperability with other languages. Um, so we use a Python library for parsing some, some various aviation data. Seeing that with the Elixir server was really easy. It was surprisingly pleasant, <laughs> especially, you know, having come from like, I think about how I would have done this in C++ or Rust. And it's like, it would have been a lot more code and, and it would have been a bigger pain to maintain. So you mentioned earlier that having a bunch of processes was not the bottleneck. Have you guys kind of discovered any bottlenecks in your current implementation? I am both proud and embarrassed to say that I over provisioned basically everything by a factor of like a hundred. Um, <laughs> we, we could support way more traffic than we have and we could do it on, you know, an off the shelf VM. I was worried that we were going to get into this and realize like, you know, we need the, the biggest bare metal server we can possibly get. And, you know, especially coming from like other managed languages I've used. You know, if you if you allocate an integer, it's like it's like, well, that'll be four megabytes of memory, you know, uh, but uh, the, the memory usage has been just absolutely the bare minimum I could imagine. CPU time has been not an issue at all. Yeah, we're, we're not concerned at all. <laughs> That's awesome. So one of the questions I, I was thinking about when you're talking about like you had this one little gen server that was doing as little as possible. I was wondering, are you using ETS then? Or how are you doing it so that you can have everyone concurrently accessing where the other planes are in their neighborhood? I had looked at ETS. It turns out that we don't really need it in production. So the the limiting factor is surprisingly the realities of aviation in that, like, if you get like 100 people at an airport, it is like 
crazy crowded and it is not really fun to to fly in you know there there's like a natural limit there like if you had a thousand people nobody would would be enjoying that and they would all leave and and <laughs> you know so our our simple little gin server if it can handle a thousand people like it's it's plenty it that's that's plenty fast enough plenty powerful enough that makes sense so I'm curious to hear your thoughts on where you think this is going in the future. You know, Elixir at X-Plane, do you think like at this point it's here to stay? Going forward, what's that look like? I expect that we will not be spinning up new web services in anything else. I, I can't imagine going back. I, I can't imagine other people on the team looking at, at Elixir and being like, yeah, you know, it's fine, but I prefer whatever, you know. We've got we've got plans for like an admin dashboard for the MMO server specifically. Um, I've got man, I have a long list of things that I would like to see written in Elixir. I really need to find a project to use Live View. I I keep listening to conference talks and 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 listening to podcasts, and I, I haven't gotten to use it in production yet. Is is that not your dashboard? That sounds like a good fit for your dashboard. Well, I know, right? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, in the future. That's absolutely what we'll use. <laughs> <laughs> A question I guess I'm wondering about is when you're having these airports and you're having multiple people all flying in around at the same time, is there anything like air traffic control to say who gets to come in when? Can I be a player and, and participate and just be the air traffic controller and, and direct <laughs> yeah. people? So that's actually something I'm I'm working on right now. Uh, we're We're hoping to rule that out soon. Yeah, so you'll be able to be an air traffic controller. We'd like to one day get a web interface to being a web uh, to being an air traffic controller as well. Um, so that whether you're on your phone or or your computer or whatever, you can uh, you can be a controller and and issue instructions and that sort of thing. Right now, we have unicom transmissions, just you know, pilot to pilot talking and saying, you know, I'm taking off on such and such runway and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, in the future, uh, full ATC will be will be a thing. It'll be exciting. Wow. Do you have any other plans for the future that you can share? All of my energies the the last couple of months have been directed toward ATC. After that, we'll we'll see. Right now, MMO is actually only on the mobile app. Uh, in the future, we would like to bring it to desktop as well. Mobile tends to be a good testing bed for us because it's it's just a more controlled environment. You know, like we don't support plugins on mobile, um, and on desktop, you know, kind of the sky's the limit as far as what uh, third party add ons can can do to modify the sim and that sort of thing. So that's why we tend to to roll out features on mobile first. That's interesting. I can also see just mobile usage, you're having less dedicated connectivity, perhaps, you know, it's on Wi-Fi instead of wired. And it's maybe I'm sitting there in my car while someone's driving and I'm trying to do this and I'm you're actually pushing some other boundaries there too. I think it's interesting. Yeah, it uh, <laughs> certainly like like reconnecting to the server after, you know, a brief period of disconnection is is a big deal. And that, that was something we had to solve right off the bat. <laughs> Are you guys, uh, are you hiring? You know, we don't have like an open rec, but we're certainly always interested to talk to people who are interested in this sort of thing. And if there is a, a rec, we'd love to be able to contact you right off the bat rather than uh, having to wait for somebody to see it on a job board. So yeah, shoot yeah. me an email. Uh, my, my email is uh, tyler at xplane.com or you can hit me up on Twitter. It'll be in the show notes, I'm sure. And you mentioned you're open to contributions on the RackNet open source protocol implementation. Is there anything like, we'll, we'll include a link to where they can find that online, but is there anything else that you're looking for in particular? No, I mean, I'd love to hear from people who are actually using it. Um, I'd love to hear what their experience has been and, and uh, you know, if they have changes they'd like to see, I'd, I'd love to talk about that. But, but no, we're not looking for anything in particular. 
All right. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for coming on. This has been really fun just because I think, you know, seeing Elixir operate at this scale, at this like professional level, like expensive professional tools, and, you know, even reaching down to the mobile space, I think it's awesome. And I really appreciate you coming on and sharing what that experience has been like from an Elixir perspective and like coming to Elixir and, you know, deploying it to production. And I'm just really glad, you know, to hear that you've had a great experience and it gives people the encouragement maybe that they ha- they need to share this with their team at their office and say, hey, you know, I think Elixir would be something good that we could bring in. Sure. I really appreciate you having me on. This was, uh, it's fun to talk about and it's fun to promote Elixir. Man, everybody needs to try it. <laughs> so if people are interested in following you online or getting in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Easiest way is probably to talk to me on Twitter. Uh, I'm Tyler A. Young because there are too many Tyler Youngs in the world. Or you can send me an email, tylerxplain.com, whatever. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. And we hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir. You know, with MMOs, you always have this problem like with Minecraft or something. You have griefing where someone comes up and says, you know, I'm just going to tear down your house while you're not there. And, you know, how do you... is Is griefing a problem like at an airport where I might just, you know, fly my little Cessna and just try to screw up and crash into a Boeing. You know, like, is that a thing? <laughs> oh, it totally is. And it's it's worse than that because you can fly like an F-22, like a fighter jet, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and blow through people on takeoff. We have plans for... Um, like shadow banning because because part of the problem is like if you're a if you're a 12 year old boy which is like a lot of our our uh mobile users you like that and that's fun for you you know and so um <laughs> the the plan is to stop other clients from seeing you when you're when you're uh doing that but you know if you want to do that uh privately that's fine you can you can fly through a 747 if you like <laughs>